Hi everyone, it's Aaron. Before we get started, I want to let you know throughout the show you'll be hearing a few snippets of one of my audiobooks I'm working on. If you'd like to check out my humor books, they're available on Amazon or at AaronDonley.com. Also, if you have any topics, questions, or general feedback for Nate, Matt, or I, you can email us at plbfile at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone, and hope you enjoy the show. Nate. Aaron. (laughs) Hi. Happy belated birthday, Matt. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. 43. Yeah. Yeah. First one yeah. to 43. What do you win? <laughs> I don't Arth- know. Arthritis? Arthritis. Hem- I win hemorrhoids. Oh, good. good. I get- so I got that or, going for me. Or a proctology exam. Ah. <laughs> so today's topic is ancient aliens. This is the Pickle of Baloney File, and my name is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Say hi, Nate. Hello. And Matt Donnelly. Hello. Hello. Okay. Nate, maybe what I'll do is let you kind of just do an overview, if you want, of what ancient aliens are. We've each got one item that we're going to talk about. Can you give a quick overview as to what we're talking about? Sure. It's been theorized by some that there was ancient technology that created sites around the world like the pyramids or the Sphinx or Puma Punco with my... (laughs) Latino accent. Excellent pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, Machu Picchu, the Mayan civilization, the Nazca lines, I think is a good example of what some people would call ancient alien technology. And I guess the three main ones we want to kind of zero in on today are the Antikytheria mechanism. Wow, good job on that pronunciation. I I had a hard time with it. Yeah, I've studied that way too much. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the Sphinx which I think is probably the one that I find most interesting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one that people may not be familiar with because they're not total nerds is Puma Punco, uh, <laughs> which is in Bolivia with a lot of stonework that really can't be explained and can't even really be duplicated with current technology. So now, Nate, do you watch the show Ancient Aliens? I do because that guy's hair, that Georgios something. Yeah. His, his hair is just magnificent. It, it, it's, it's a, what do they call that? Cause the guys on Jersey shore have it, but they have a full head of hair, but he has it, but he's balding. It's a blowback. Yeah, it's, or... it's not a pompadour. <laughs> I don't know what they it. Call looks it looks like he's standing in front of a large industrial fan, but he's not. Yeah. Like one of those big ass fans. Yeah. You know what a big ass fan yeah. is? That's what it looks like. Imagine his hair with Rivera's mustache. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> Oh, Matt got the first shot in on Geraldo, but <laughs> Matt, uh, as a surprise to you, I tried to reach out to the actual Geraldo Rivera. Really? I found his contact information on the internet, which I'm sure is completely reliable. <laughs> and I sent off two emails in the last week to try and get him on our podcast. <laughs> I, no kidding. And uh, I did not hear back, surprisingly <laughs> enough. Or as they say, uh, he did not immediately return your call. Yeah, he's dodging yeah. us. That, that's a little more diplomatic, but I, <laughs> damn it, you got in the Geraldo thing before yeah. I could. See, I sent it, I sent it from my work email yeah. and I tried to kind of word it and make it look real professional mm-hmm. and say, you know, we have an ongoing podcast, which is true. Mm-hmm. It's, it is ongoing. So <laughs> technically, <laughs> uh, you remember Susan Boyle when she came out on America's Got Talent and all that? Yeah. I just, for my own sake, I started emailing a real estate agent in San Diego named Susan Boyle when that happened. 
just telling her how much of an inspiration she's been and how at first I didn't think she was much, but then when she opened her mouth, I sent a few emails. Well, hey, when she sold that duplex that nobody thought she could sell, Aaron. <laughs> it was magical. That's awesome. Yeah. On the Ancient Aliens, a lot of it is based off of this Eric Von Daniken. Yeah, uh, he... and uh, I think Graham Hancock. I don't know if you've heard that name before. No. Uh, Graham Hancock, he's a little bit more on the reputable side. Okay. He does some actual, you know, scientifically backed and accredited archaeology, but I like a lot of his work. So. Have you read, so the famous book that Van Dannegan did was called Chariots of the Gods. Have you yep. seen that? I've read it. You've I've read, read it? it. Uh, oh boy, long time ago, probably in my sophomore year in college when I was not going to class. I'm sure that's when I read it. <laughs> Studying Chariots of the Gods. Yeah. <laughs> as a wise move. <laughs> Look where it got me. Yeah. He's got some he's got some good theories, I guess. Yeah. Um a lot of it is kind of rubbish. I mean, it's not to me you need something to back whatever you're saying, you need something to back it up. Yeah. And he just I don't think he delivers. He delivers a lot on the theory part. Right. He's got a lot of interesting theories, but he really does not deliver on any of the, okay, here's why I think this, or here's some proof of why I think this. Right. So that's where that book falls short. Because so. I remember seeing that book as a kid and thinking, you know, it was just mysterious. It's like uh, Jay had all those Time Life UFO books. Those are pretty fascinating yep. too. If you Google him on Wikipedia, it talks about, it's just fascinating how he wrote the book. In 1968, he was arrested for fraud. And after falsifying hotel records and credit references, he took out loans for $130,000 to go and travel the world and study for his book and live a playboy lifestyle, playboys in quotes. And then uh, in 1970, he was sentenced to three and a half years in prison. But by that point, his book was selling a lot of copies so he could he could pay back his debts, and then he wrote the follow up book while in prison. I, said it, I did not know that. Yeah, it's so it's crazy. Did you say falsifying hotel records? He was in the hotel business, I guess. I don't know what he did. Oh, I see. He wasn't checking in and like putting his name as like Harry Buns or something. <laughs> Beeswax, not yours, Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> Calculated risk. You guys are being such a cliche right now. I shouted from the ground. Taking a small but calculated risk, the aliens anal probing my friend Hank would probe him more aggressively. Okay, so we got three topics today, and I don't know who wants to go first. Matt, do you want to take the Sphinx or the? Oh uh, uh, yeah, I could, I could take the I could take the Sphinx. Well, <laughs> first of all, I have a trouble saying Sphinx. It's Sphinx, which is one of those words that I just can't say well. Um, yeah. I was thinking, but minx. anyway, minx, yes, <laughs> minx, just like minx. Why do you guys always say you're going to be like minx? The minx. <laughs> Evidently, they procreate a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't work at a zoo, but uh, that's the rumor on the streets. Yeah. Okay. So, for everybody listening, Matt and Nate are two years older than I am. So I was. Uh, sort of a little brother but matt let me hang, tag along and so that's how i got to know nate and but matt and nate would always have these inside jokes and one of them is we're going to be like minks but <laughs> i never really understood it i guess <laughs> i don't think but we did either <laughs> we didn't we were not like minks <laughs> okay
All right. Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. We're more like the animal that procreates once and then swims off and dies. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. Well, um, the Sphinx is the, of course, the, uh, the large uh, sculpture by the uh, uh, large Giza pyramid facing uh, west, I believe, um, of the Nile and of the Giza pyramid. And uh, the big mystery of it is, of course, who, who created it and when was it created? Uh, the most accepted theory is that uh, it was created about 2500 BC by the pharaoh Kafka. But there's other theories as well because of the erosion factor. That that's claim- that's where that's where I'm very interested in mm. Sphinx is the the water erosion. Right, because they claim if there's water erosion, that it must have dated pre-Egyptian Egyptian civilization, putting it between 10,000 BC and 7,000 BC when they had torrential rains uh, after the right. after the Ice Age. There was no rain in the desert after that, essentially, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then I, my subscription to the dark web um, ran out because I didn't renew it. Um, but I, I did find, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the author, uh, Zechariah Sitchin. He yeah, wrote Sitchin. Uh, the book, The Wars of Gods and Men. And okay. he actually thought that there was an actual war involving gods and men that took place during this time period around 9000 BC. So how do we do? Um, <laughs> we lost, uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> which is why they, uh, they use that, uh, site as a base. Ancient, uh, aliens use the site so that they had have a place on earth to land. So he well, really, so- uh, he really went out there and tried to tie a lot of things together. In fact, uh, he tried to tie in the fact that there was uh, this humanoid race that, that fought, uh, against the gods and that were descended from them and that they did genetic engineering, which accounts for uh, the missing link in Darwin's theory of evolution. And that they also had... That's, uh, that's interesting. That I have not yeah. heard before. And that they huh. had bases on Mars as well <laughs> so that they could fly around between Mars and, and, and uh, the Earth. So he had huh. really interesting theories. Was the Sphinx like a porthole? Like what I, I just listened to a little bit on it and the lady was talking about how originally it was a lion face. Yes. And not yes. and not a human face, people think. And she thought and it and it faces a constellation of a lion, is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Is it is it Leo? Leo, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And, and so see, that see. was like their portal spot because it faced that constellation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's people that think it was built in a certain time period, maybe ten to twelve thousand years ago. Because that's when that constellation would have faced Leo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a theory I've heard. Now, the pyramids themselves line up to Orion. They match Orion's belt. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other yeah. theory I heard was that um, because the Sphinx is not actual, they never called it the Sphinx. They, um, that's a Greek term. And so there was a theory that it didn't actually wasn't actually the face of a man, but was the face of a woman. And uh, there was even uh, some suggestion that there were breasts on the Sphinx, nice. uh, but but they didn't know the cup. <laughs> they didn't know the cup size. <laughs> oh man! So have you guys ever heard of Edgar Casey? Yeah, he was like a psychic or something. Yeah, he was like a see, like a seer of the future. Yeah, and he he predicted way back in the twenties or thirties that they would find an empty chamber under 
I think it's the left paw of the Sphinx. Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that's where the like the hall of records would be of like everything that happened in prehistory. And that would kind of start an age of enlightenment. I, I mean, I do think it's interesting be- just for the sheer fact of that he was right. You know, they've done like seismic testing and they have found there is a large empty chamber below his paw. So but yes, they will I read not that. Let, they won't let anybody get, get in there, right? No, no. Yeah. And that's, I and think, they, the they, tie to Atlantis is not, isn't not that they yes. think Atlantis's records are, are contained in that rectangular vault or rectangular space. Yeah, they, they think there's some people that theorize there was like a great cataclysm about around 12,000 years ago, at like an like a asteroid strike or oh, something yeah. in Greenland. And it would have pretty much destroyed all life on Earth. And that's where they kind of, I guess, tried to save some of their records information okay. about their society so put it under the left paw no yeah. one will ever look, no one will ever think to look there put it under the doormat <laughs> well and then uh i didn't realize that the the sphinx was actually under was buried under sand yeah uh, for most of its existence oh, really? uh which really interesting and that's and that's why they say that we probably still have it today and it didn't totally erode uh, because it was under sand for so long because if you look at it now, it doesn't look symmetrical because it's been eroded, right? Mm-hmm, right. It, yeah, part of its body looks like it's... Now, they say that the erosion could be through sand and wind, and but some people say that the erosion looks exactly like it was through water. That's yes. that's where the discrepancy is. Right. And that, what, do you, uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Do you, do you think water or do you think wind? I think the jury's still out. I mean, I, I hate to contradict, you know, the establishment... But the, the water, really, the water erosion uh, really opens the door to a lot of extra theories because of the time frame. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's aliens. I mean, even if it's 10,000 years old, there's still... Yeah, that's here. exactly where I think... I mean, yes, that could be an answer, or it could just be an ancient society with high technology. Mm. Yeah, you because know? don't we have... We have essentially society back that far or is that too far back i thought they've discovered some artifacts that were that far back they they discovered a city in turkey that's like 10 to eleven thousand years old okay i think that's the oldest thing they found right so it's possible that it's just old humans older than we think right in a society that not necessarily yeah not aliens but just a human society older right right okay huh I don't like when people are, I don't like when people are too quick to say aliens because, you know, yeah, that's a theory and it's, it's a possibility. It's interesting to entertain and kind of delve into, but you know, I mean, how long has the earth been around? How long have humans been around? If there was a cataclysm like that, that would have destroyed the earth. I mean, you know, they, of course they would have lost all record of it. Well, what do you guys think about aliens existing in general, including UFO sightings um, what is your general opinion on the existence of aliens? Do you think they've had contact with us? Do you think they even exist at all? I do not. Um, and the reason being, I don't think a secret like that could hide, you know, undercover. Uh, I think it would be a mainstream type of theory. And especially right. with our current commander in chief, I think he would have spilled the beans. 
<laughs> if, he would, if he would have had any intel that they were aliens, I think he I, would have brought it up in one of his speeches. I know. Don't you think that he would be spilling beans like constantly? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> be a constant spilling of beans. He's going to say, I had a great dinner with Jimmy Hoffa and Elvis last night. Fantastic. <laughs> Should I have not said that? <laughs> what, what are your thoughts, Nate? I kind of side with Matt, but there's a lot of stuff at a lot of ancient sites that is incredibly hard to explain. So that's why I like to keep that door open just because there's just no way that we know of that ancient humans could have done this stuff. They, they could have lifted a hundred ton block that they could have carved the stone that perfectly, you know, just. What about the possibility of humans from the future coming back in time? Ooh. and changing uh, the course of events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like Back, back to, to the, the Future. future. As and in again, Back to the Future. <laughs> and again, we tie in Back to the Future like we've done the last four episodes. <laughs> I, have you guys heard of the Fermi paradox, that concept? No. It's uh, Enrique Fermi. He basically was sitting around with a bunch of physicists and they were talking about aliens. And he goes, where is everybody? And mm-hmm. so it's basically this thought of Okay, the the universe, once we understand how large it is and how possible it is for life to have developed elsewhere, why haven't we had any contact? Because there's my whole thing is like, I always think, what's the most probable thing and what's the most likely explanation? And so when it comes down to Bigfoot or UFOs or anything supernatural, I always say, well, there's no evidence like hard evidence. Like I, if I could put all the hard evidence for anything like that on a tray, that tray would be empty. There, there's zero scientifically provable, repeatable evidence for things like that. And so until there is, I think I, I would have to err on the side that no, they, they likely don't exist. Or when you talk about the Fermi paradox, there's different explanations as to why we haven't found aliens yet. And so I, I printed off a few of them. One of them is, uh, okay, extraterrestrial life is either rare or non-existent. And in that we're basically an anomaly. Like if you uh, believe in the Big Bang Theory and evolution and all that, then it's basically was, was extremely unlikely that life did exist. And, and so it's a very rare chance that it would ever happen again. One of the other ones I found interesting, though, is called the, the Great Filter. And it, it states that the nature of intelligent life is to destroy itself. And so the theory is that civilizations do not advance beyond a certain point to where they can do intergalactic travel because they end up destroying themselves because they discover atomic energy before that happens. So there is an inevitability. Once we've discovered atomic energy, the chances is virtually 100% that at some point we will destroy ourselves, whether it's 100 years from now or 10 million years from now. Once it exists, the chances that it will be used on a large scale are very high if you expand out the timeline. Was it Einstein that said uh, no weapon that's ever invented has never been used on a large scale? Right. Or was it Oppenheimer? One of the two said that. Yeah. And that's that's always kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, I mean, think about 10 million years from now. You, you don't think anyone will have used atomic weapons on a large scale in that time frame? I mean, it's almost virtually certain that someone will. Yes. And so the theory is that we, there's a filter that happens because of that, and the intelligent life doesn't get to develop into the space travel age because of it. The other ones are periodic extinction by natural events, or that we're basically too far. We're too far apart in space or time. So if you think about it, we've only been like looking at really understanding space for like, what, 100 years, like really understanding yeah. it. 
And you talk about the age of the universe being billions of years old. There could have been or aliens that basically developed and lived and thrived and lived for hundreds of millions of years and then died out. And that was a billion years ago, and we would have no record that it happened in the universe because it's it's too long ago. And faster than light travel, I don't think is possible for humans, just because they said what it would do to a human body. You know, right. stop your heart. It would, you know, it's just not possible. You know, yeah. in in the theoretical world, it might be possible, but in the physical world, it's not possible. And the energy to do it, and I guess. What yes, people are looking yep. for now is basically a star that looks like it has a mega structure built around it to harness the energy of the star. A Dyson sphere? Yeah, a Dyson sphere. Because that's what it would take for an alien race to travel to us is that amount of energy. And so that's what they're looking for, for proof. Scientists, or, or SETI, I guess, is the organization now. I, I think that's what the dude that invented the Dyson vacuum is working on now. <laughs> He makes it's a, some pretty cool stuff. You it's a hell of a vacuum, I tell you. Those hand dryers are pretty cool too, right? Yeah. So Remember when uh, Dad bought a Dyson vacuum and he has no carpet? <laughs> no. <laughs> did he Did he get a good deal on it? <laughs> I think he, he bought basically... it from a door to door salesman. Did I ever uh, tell you my my vacuum cleaner story about when I was uh, dating somebody and uh, she had bought a vacuum from a door to door salesman uh, mm-hmm. and he came he came to collect and he pounded on the door. And I, I had to confront him and tell him to go away. <laughs> My item that I got assigned was the antithecara. Wait, I'm not going to get it right. Antithecara mechanism. I've heard it pronounced a lot of different ways. It's a it's basically the it's named after an island, a Greek island, where they found this device on the ocean floor by the Greek island. So, in 1901, and this is the guys that found it. I love their I love the name. It sounds like a psychedelic uh, band. It's Captain Kondos and his crew of sponge divers. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it sounds actually, you know, it sounds like, uh, uh, like if porn, a bunch of porn stars had a secret clubhouse outside of the industry, they'd be Captain Kondos and his crew of sponge divers. <laughs> or anyway. what did you say in the, in the world war one episode, uh, bohemian aristocrat. Yeah. Bohemian aristocrat. Yeah. There's another good, we're going to start collecting uh, bad band names. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lennon, my daughter is sort of in a, a little band with her friends and i'm like what's your name and they don't have a name yet i'm like that's the funnest that is the, the only thing we talked about we didn't ever form a band it's fun no, to talk didn't. about band names no we didn't care about the music all we cared about was the name <laughs> and getting the band back together yes because yes. we always broke up you know every couple <laughs> months constant <laughs> um, creative differences so uh okay so in 1901 captain kondos and his crew of sponge divers they were around the island of antikythera antikythera and uh in greece and there was a storm so they had to sort of just hang out so one guy puts on his you know copper helmet and uh, decides to dive down and look for some sponges and when he gets down to the floor, it's about 200 feet down, 150 feet down. It's pretty far down. And so actually they only have like 10 minutes down there at a time because it's so far down. And he gets down there and he sees all these human like remains. It looks like a bunch of bodies down there, horses. He starts freaking out. And so he pulls the rope to come back up. Not too fast so he doesn't get the bends, which is, I love the name of the bends for the mm. disease that you get when you come up too fast. I don't really understand it either, but what the heck were the horses doing down there? Okay, so it turned, and so the captain condos is like, wait a minute, you know, let me let me get up, let me put on the copper helmet, and so he dives in, 
and he realizes that they're statues. And so what they discover was the uh, wreckage from an ancient uh, shipwreck that happened. And so they alert the authorities and uh, really from that time on, from the year 1901, the nation of Greece has been excavating this site where this ancient shipwreck happened. It was a Roman ship that was carrying a ton of valuable statues, gold coins, oil, wine jars, a bunch of just super valuable things. It'd be like if someone was a massive, like the world's greatest collector of items and he had a ship and then it sank. I think the shipwreck happened sometime around 70 to 50 BC. We actually don't have very much information on this. It's called the Hellenistic period. Mm -hmm. Because of the fire at Alexandria, we don't have very much information. I heard that you could put all of the books that we have in this time period into it like a book bag. They didn't change the batteries in their smoke detectors. They should have. You're supposed <laughs> right. to do that every spring forward, fall back, change the batteries in their smoke detectors. Right. Tragedy. Historians have called it a tragedy. The great library of Alexandria was destroyed by fire. But let me tell you something they won't. The real tragedy was the library before the fire. Thousands of years before the Dewey Decimal System combined with about a million papyrus scrolls thrown into a musty room, that fire was a blessing, my friend. Do, do you know what else they found down there? What's that? On the video I was just watching, they said, they found a lot of broken plates, which I'm like, that's hilarious that off the coast of a Greek island, they found a bunch of broken plates. <laughs> <laughs> How much more stereotypical. I know. They found, they found the body, the corpse of John Stamos. They found a bunch <laughs> of broken plates. They found a bunch of Oikos Greek yogurt. <laughs> uh, VHS tapes of My Fat Greek Wedding. Yes. Yeah. The one other thing they found was this, it looks like a chunk of corroded metal and rock sort of together that has a wheel on it. And so they pulled it up. They didn't really know what it was or what to do with it. And so they set it aside essentially for about a year or two while they worked on the statues. And because the statues are really beautiful. They're like the best examples we have from that time period. And so that device, when they started looking at it, they eventually called it the Antisecura Antikythera mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> and so they started looking at it and they decided they, they discovered that it had all of these uh, cogs and wheels and s with wheels of spokes on it it looked like a, a very fine-tuned machine and they didn't have any idea what it was there they discovered some greek writing on it and so over time uh, especially with the advent of x-ray machines and more high-tech x-ray machines uh, even in the last 20 years they've been able to really see the inner workings of this machine. So it's about the size of a large shoebox. Originally it was, and it was encased probably in wood. And on the front of it was one large wheel. And on the back of it were two smaller wheels. And on the side of it was probably a gear that you turned. So what ultimately what they discovered was that it was a mechanism designed for basically keeping track of the locations of all, they only knew of five planets back then. So you could turn it and set it to any date and time uh, within a 200-year span, I think. You could find out what the phase of the moon was, if when the next eclipse was going to be, when all the eclipses were going to be, both solar and uh, lunar eclipse. You could find out where the some of the constellations, the zodiac signs were going to be, and what, what area of the sky, and where the planets were. 
even little things they discovered that like the moon itself does not rotate around the earth in a, in a circular orbit it gets in a slightly elliptical orbit and so if you had a device like this it would ultimately be wrong like every either nine or 19 years because of that orbit is not totally circular it's kind of like how we go around the sun and we have to account for the leap year or otherwise our calendars would be off so anyway, they figured this out back then and created a special gear to adjust for that so that every nine years, this adjustment would be had and they would never be off. And it's just completely remarkable that they would even discover that or think about that. And so it's a super advanced for that time period design. And we wouldn't discover another item so technologically advanced as far as understanding of space for another 1,000 to 1,500 years. Is there any fringe theory that it was not by human? Yeah, so that's the theory is that it's too advanced to be of that time period. And so it was given to us by aliens sort of to advance us and our understanding of the stars. And, you know, if that's the case, then they did. There's, there's some real problems with that, in my opinion. I mean, okay, first of all, they gave us this thing and we lost it. And then it was gone for 1,500 years. So a lot of good it did us. I mean, it didn't do any good to anyone. Did the they just give is, us a new one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have lost your privileges. <laughs> I guess the ancient aliens people say it would be like walking into a castle, medieval castle, and seeing an iPhone on a desk. Hmm. And they say because it's a 1,000 years ahead of its time or whatever. And I don't know. I mean, to me, it's still analog. It's if, if, if you found something that was actually digital or that had electronics involved, then yeah, that'd be incredible. But this is still. Yeah, that's years. true. That's, that's true. Because like you said, it can be recreated and it has been recreated. It's more the science behind it that it's kind of way far ahead of its time. It is mentioned, at least I think in the writings of a guy named Cicero, that yep. such a device existed and he believed it was created by Archimedes who was a genius of that time. He discovered pi. He basically um, created... <laughs> mm, pi. <laughs> <laughs> he basically created a calculus, or the beginnings of calculus. Um, so he was like a, a genius type of mind. And he had something at least rudimentary. No, no, Aaron. I think you mean asshole. He invented calculus. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't geometry your problem, Nate? Uh, geometry was my, it was the bane of my existence for <laughs> two or three years. So I took geometry, failed it miserably, didn't try. Yeah. My logic was, I've already been through it once. Yeah. I'm going to ace it this time. I've already been through it. So yeah, I'm going to take sure. AP geometry. Oh, wow. Well, I really failed that. <laughs> and then the third time, I think she just was sick of looking at me. So she <laughs> let me through the gates. But oh, my, my one thought here on the, the Antikytheria mechanism is, I always thought it would be really hilarious if this incredible device for the time had a completely stupid purpose. <laughs> you turn the crank and it would make a fart noise or something. <laughs> now you got me thinking about Captain Kondos yeah. and his group of sponge divers. Yeah. Like, picture the monkeys running towards the beach and then the tide comes in and then they run back away from the beach. That's the kind of band they are. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> I have the ancient and mysterious city of Puma Punko, yeah. which is in Bolivia. Do you guys know much about it? I watched the Ancient Aliens thing on it, I think. Do okay. Bolivians yeah. wear those big hats? No, it's the they little do. hats. They wear the really big hats. Who wears the tiny hats? Matt, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they got shipped by accident a bunch of small hats from Europe, and then all the women thought they were fashionable and started wearing them. 
but huh. really they were just an accident and now they still wear these little small hats they're called something hmm. interesting yeah. we'll have to do that for the next podcast <laughs> little, yeah. hats. Stay, stay <laughs> little hats for that one. <laughs> not to, just before you start nate there is something similar to they're called cargo cults have you heard of this no to where islands basically like there was a shipwreck or uh and part of the cargo got lost at sea and it land, ended up on these islands and these people were so remote that they believed all this stuff was alien technology or alien oh, things see. and they started to worship all these things as part as godlike items and there's even one i believe for prince philip's that they thought he was a god the prince of england because of this and it's just fascinating similar to the the psychology behind aliens on a small scale Hmm. so interesting anyway. i mean yeah, yeah if you lived on like easter island or you lived in some remote island in the you know 18 or 1900s can you imagine i mean the technology you'd see i mean yeah. you wouldn't even understand what you're seeing but uh the the uh the most exciting part about puma punku is i get to say lake titicaca <laughs> which will never stop being fun to say you can say it a million times in a row and it will be fun every time but uh, what, what is the meaning of titicaca i'm not sure I did a I did a stand up comedy class one time and the lady was she was sweet but she was not funny like if you looked at her website it's her like peeking her head in between uh, curtains and smiling real big or like looking at a, a like a puppet and like frowning. You have one picture of her hands up like huh? <laughs> yeah. you can't help it. But one of her big recommendations was use the letter K a lot in your jokes. Oh no, like, that's. No, that's from The Simpsons. She stole that. That's a uh, Krusty the Clown's bit. Like he says, uh, say like Kia Cuck. Yeah. He says, say Kio Cuck. There's something about the K sound that makes people laugh. That was her advice. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Uh, so uh, Puma Punku is, there's actually kind of a sister site called Tiwanaku. I don't know if you guys heard of that one too, but they're both in the extreme high altitude of Bolivia, of course, close to Lake Titicaca. The civilization that lived there, the the Tiwanaku people, date back probably around the time of Christ, so probably 2,000-ish years ago. That is kind of debatable. The Tiwanaku site is interesting, but Pumapunku is the one that I find the most interesting just because, I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of some of the stonework there the they have the, a bunch the, of h's the, right yeah th- that was gonna say the famous picture the people have usually seen is the h-shaped blocks right which are like 20 to 30 tons a piece and are all different because some people say well i still think it's amazing even if they were poured in a mold but they're like oh they're all poured in a mold well i've seen videos of people like going around each one and they're all different they're all different shapes sizes they're close some are completely smooth and finished. Some are still rough. They're not finished. But to me, the part that is most interesting is the quality of the stonework. There's two types of stone used there. I think sandstone and andesite is the other one. It's a very hard rock. The sandstone quarry is eight miles away over the mountains. Remember, there's this is supposedly 2,000 plus years ago. There's no wood around because you're at high altitude, so you can't tip these over onto logs and roll it eight miles. That's not possible. So that's eight miles away. The andesite quarry, which is the harder stone, is 55 miles away. 
So, <laughs> so how did, the, why did they build, is it religious site? Uh, they or? say, yeah, it was the temple of the Puma or something is what it translates to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was another like temple site kind of dedicated to the moon and the stars and kind of uh, an astronomical site. All the work, all the stonework at Puma Punku is perfectly level perfectly square a lot of them not all if you hold a compass above it it will point correctly if you set the compass down on it it will completely flip the other direction why is that they they still don't really have an answer for it they say the andesite has like some magnetic qualities oh yeah but it should not cause yeah Yeah. so it completely flips to the opposite direction the amazing thing is people got to watch videos of people putting levels and squares and tape measures on this stuff and there's there's holes drilled into this stuff and they've miked all the holes at the exact same depth every single hole every single block the exact same depth there's oh. no chisel marks on any of the stonework at Pumapunku it's just absolutely amazing that they did this with supposed bronze age technology but the guy I've been watching his videos Brian Forrester he's got a lot of videos on YouTube first of all the guy's probably never been on a date I'm guessing by yeah. watching all his videos I've watched a lot of his lectures and the crowd too. I don't think there's been a date um, among the whole crowd, but, um, and you've watched all the videos. Yeah. So now I'm part, I'm part of, <laughs> I've become part of the group. I've watched all his videos. He's a total loser. I've watched all um, of them. It's just absolutely amazing. The, the precision of stonework, Brian Forrester and uh, Graham Hancock and other people have said, even if like pooled all of today's best technology, you could still maybe or maybe not recreate some of the stonework. So Nate, does that get your vote for the most uh, intriguing site that you've researched? It it does. This is one thing where I I just want to hear somebody's rational explanation for what they think happened here, how, how they, how these stones got moved here. There's one stone that's 108 tons and it's andesite. So 108 ton stone got moved 55 miles with no timber. How? I always wonder, like, because it takes, like, how long do the pyramids take to build? Like, like decades or centuries or whatever. How did you keep, why would you keep that going? I mean, the. Oh, yeah. At some point, just give up. Yeah. I mean, you'd say, what, this is so futile and stupid. Like, let's just live our lives and be happy. Let's have orgies and things like that. Why Why are we doing this? I don't know, man. It's it's such a crazy thing to think. That's what you do I, with see, I think uh, time. I think Franklin Roosevelt was going to start that as part of the New Deal. Yeah. He's going to start just building pyramids. It's randomly. actually, you know what, it's similar. Although he, I wonder maybe that's the same kind of concept. He got the economy going. He <laughs> did. Pyramids he, are the way. You just got to keep, keep people busy. The Egyptians the wanted to, they wanted some new infrastructure, so. Yeah. Yeah. How do, how do you say it again, Nate? Puma. Puma Punku. I, I like to hear you say it in your Latin voice, though. More of an oh. accent. Puma Punku. <laughs> okay. You know what? I, I think it's weird when you're watching a, like a Bigfoot show or an alien show. Let's just like a, like a Bigfoot show. And it's 1230 at night. And, and they always have these cliffhanger commercial breaks. And you're like, oh, man, they're going to find Bigfoot as soon as I come back. And then you think, wait a minute, this is probably filmed like a year ago. That would, would have been worldwide news. Yes, it's like, right. it's like the curse of, I don't know if you guys watched the curse of Oh, Island. man, that, that keeps me. It's we, such a tease. We found a rock with a pattern on it. Could this <laughs> moss mean something? I know. And then they come back, no, it doesn't mean anything. But no, it's like it was just moss. Yeah, if there was anything real, it wouldn't be on at 1230 at night on the History Channel H2. It'd be all over the, the internet. 
that if they found a real big. It'd be at least on the regular History Channel. Yeah, exactly. I, it's on I, History Channel Eight, the Ocho. <laughs> I I find uh, really interesting. Not necessarily like all these like uh, pseudoscience. Although I love whenever whenever they have the, like a talking head, an expert, a cryptozoologist. It's always like some guy with a leather hat with a skull on the hat and like a scraggly goatee cryptozoologists so my question when i see those so-called uh, experts is who pays them and how do you get that title <laughs> is it an is honorary degree yeah is there a community college where you can get a cryptozoology degree? <laughs> I, know. I know but the thing i so i kind of started studying into this whole argument because i saw that ancient aliens was you know there's a lot of critics out there of the show and and even of history channel in general for essentially going down this whole road of non-history things like conspiracy yeah, the shows and, the show's hokey as hell most of the time yeah but there was some like one criticism a guy said that what they do is called gish galloping have you heard of that gish galloping no. so no so i had to research it gish galloping it's a it's a phrase or technique it's named after a creationist a debater named Dwayne Gish, and he employed it regularly, and so people started calling it Gish Galloping. And once I once I heard what this is, I was like, "Oh man, you see this all the time." And what it is is, if you're in a debate with someone, and then all of a sudden they start overwhelming you with information that's sort of half truth, and then it's just a bunch of different items of information. They come, "What about this?" and then this, and then this. The, the problem is that they overwhelm you with so many of these that. It takes him like just a second to throw it out there, but it would take you hours to debunk it fully and accurately. And so it's this debating technique that's kind of shady that basically is like, here's a ton of information that you can't debate me on here. And so you'll look dumb. And then if even one of the things I say is true, then I'll look like I won the debate. And uh, not to get back onto Trump, but that's kind of you know, the master of this is, is Kellyanne Conway. Have you heard her? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. man. Like, if you ever hear her interviewed, it's so. Didn't she? Did she coin fake news or was that Trump? She coined alternative facts. Alternative facts. <clears throat> yeah. That one is pretty laughable, too. Yeah. And so it's almost just, it's, it's mind boggling to watch her talk. She's so good at this. But they, anyway, the Ancient Aliens show has been accused of this. Basically, they throw so many things at you, and they're kind of half somewhat plausible truths. And then the show ends, and then it's kind of like it leaves you with no real facts, but it leaves you with a feeling that something is wrong. Something's up. There's got to be something. But you're right. If you watch it this way the next time, this is how I watch a lot of History Channel shows, is they lead out of commercial or they end a show with three questions they'll say did they find a rock from the 1400s yeah does this rock have any significance right does rick's pants uh (laughs) match his brother's shirt (laughs) stay tuned but they always have just watch every history channel show of that kind of ilk yeah they always they will they will go to commercial or they will end the episode with three questions. Mm. So it leaves you with questions. So you want them answered when the show comes back on. It's kind of like entertainment weekly, that show. Most of the show is telling you what the show is going to be. Like almost all mm. of it is up next. Is, and then, is that but the first, Pat, is that the, what's his name? Pat. O- it's uh, Pat O'Brien. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah the guy. Pat O'Brien. Yeah. I think it yeah. was him. 
Oh, how far he has fallen. Didn't he used to do uh, play-by-play on CBS Sports? Yes, he did. Yeah. He must have really pissed somebody off at CBS. I, I think he does the lingerie league now. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, the thing. The thing is, I, I talk about this a lot, but like our brains are built to like shows like Ancient Aliens. We like sitting there and getting sort of tickled by this and eating chips on the couch. And that's what our brain likes. What our brain doesn't like is reading a scientific journal that is incredibly dense and incredibly boring and incremental. I really like just the whole idea of science is that it's incremental, it's very slow, and it's peer-reviewed. And so the, it, very, it eliminates BS, you know, because of that. It's kind of like when I was in the shopping line with Lennon, my daughter, the other day, she, she saw something and it was like, a, it said homeopathic lip balm or something. And she goes, Dad, what does homeopathic mean? And I go, it means it doesn't work. <laughs> 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 because real medicine takes years to develop in scientific labs that are tested appropriately. Matt, do you, uh, whenever I think of like Atlantis and stuff, which we didn't talk about, but you remember... Uh, Watching Donovan on stage. Oh yes, <laughs> Nate, you ever heard Important. of Don? What? Yeah. You mean like Hurdy Gurdy Man? Yeah, Hurdy Gurdy Man, Mellow Yellow. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So Dad bought us tickets to go see Donovan. We went up there. We were hours early because Dad likes to get autographs, and we thought there'd be a mad rush at the door to, to get Donovan. <laughs> we were like <laughs> the only ones standing there in the cold for like two hours, <laughs> waiting for the door to open, and. uh there was one guy there, though. That was like... <laughs> Did Donovan unlock the door? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you guys doing out here? <laughs> so, anyway, I've never... So, finally, Donovan played, but he has this song. He has some kind of weird, I don't know, New Agey type songs. One of them's that song about Atlantis. You've probably heard it. It's like, oh, yes, way down below that. the ocean. But he started talking. He went into this long That's Gordon monologue. Lightfoot. <laughs> Anyway, before he had had this musical, uh, this mystical music going on in the background, he started talking about all the, the, the weird things in the universe and Atlantis oh, and boy. all this. And the crowd itself turned on him and was <laughs> laughing at him. That's right. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. I've never seen this happen before where people yeah. were like, whatever, man. Like it was. This is. This is Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it was so <laughs> awkward. Uh, I picture the part in Spinal Tap when uh, he starts talking during Stonehenge. That's <laughs> exactly what it was like. He's like, and beneath the dark moon, <laughs> they started to dance. Yeah, and everyone was just kind of laughing at, at him, not with him, at him. And his eyes got wide and he started talking about Atlantis. But he didn't even have a real band. <laughs> Matt, he had like some college kids that came on stage and played with him. And really... it was like the Chuck E. Cheese animatronic <laughs> band behind him. Matt, you at the time had some generic shoes from Kmart and had like yes. a fake, it had like a fake Nike swoosh. And you look and you go, "Hey, the the bass player's got my shoes." <laughs> he had your, your generic shoes on from Kmart. <laughs> like that's not a good sign. He was living in a hellhole, and he knew exactly <laughs> where he stood. He thought he'd be getting that Donovan money. <laughs> hey, man, he's got my shoes. So uh, next week, what's going to be the topic, Matt? I think we're going to go into some American history, the uh, history of how tobacco has formed America's landscape, oh, okay. the, uh, the switch now from tobacco to hemp products ah. and marijuana products 
and how that is going to change our economy probably for the near future. Interesting. You know, I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange uh, last year and they were doing a tour and you look up and around the ceiling is wheat and tobacco leaves mm -hmm. because when they built the stock exchange, those were thought of as the two most important resources in America for the economy. Mm -hmm. so interesting. And here's a here's a little yeah. teaser. Look up the Farm Bill Act of 2018, which yeah. actually legalized hemp. It took it off as a scheduled drug and yeah. huh. uh, significant influence. Got no press coverage whatsoever, except in the North Carolina um, Herald. I think it was the Asheville Greenville Herald. Um, yeah, it's that's where I get all my news. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we will talk to you next Thursday, and you guys have a good night. The truth is out there. The question is not who made the crop circles. As we all know, they're made by those crazy UFO enthusiasts in the dark of night using flat boards they walk on with strings on each end. The real question is, when and how did the aliens transmit the blueprints and technology involved in creating these board with string devices? <laughs>